This is Tech Dip Voice, a podcast from the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue. This podcast features former Assistant Secretary of State Manisha Singh. She is joined by John Smee, Senior VP of Engineering at Qualcomm, and Per Beming, Head of Standards and Industry at Ericsson. In this episode, they will discuss the evolution of 6G technology. Hello from the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue University. We are very pleased to present this podcast today on the evolution of 6G technology. As 5G came upon us, there were questions, there were understandings and things that people wanted to know more about. So here at the Kroc Institute, we thought we would get ahead of the conversation and start talking about 6G before it gets deployed. We are very excited and pleased to have two industry experts here with us today. We have John Smee, who is the Senior VP of Engineering and Global Head of Wireless Research at Qualcomm, and Per Beming, who is the Head of Standards and Industry at Ericsson. Thank you both for joining us here today. We're very excited to have this conversation that's going to be heard by people around the world. So, John, perhaps I can start uh, the conversation with you. I wanted to ask, why are global economies of scale increasingly relevant now? When we look at technology, I think it's a great question, Manisha, because you have this reality of investment, deployment, adoption, new applications. And what we're realizing in technology is that for us to take larger steps forward, we really have to make sure there is that scale that can justify significant investment. And I think what's interesting to take a look at is even the sophistication that, for example, can enable a really low power wearable device that has, for example, on-device artificial intelligence, advanced 5G communication. So if you take a look at a device like that, the reality is a huge amount of R&D needs to go into it. It needs to benefit from a global standard and it needs to have something where the investment can be something that is justifiable to take that larger technology step forward. We don't really want just small incremental adjustments. To take a bigger step, we need a larger economy of scale. And that kind of brings in then the global market, the need to be able to have that global economy of scale so that as an industry, when we look at mobile communications, we can take a bigger step together. Okay, and that was gonna be my next question for you is is how is this particularly applicable in mobile communications as we prepare for 6G? Well, I think when we look at the mobile side, what's interesting to understand is then the look at the connected, what we refer to at Qualcomm as the connected intelligent edge. So just the number of types of devices that are connecting, and even whether it's a future augmented virtual reality headset, or it's an amazing 5G smartphone we have today, Those those sort of technologies are leveraging huge investments in semiconductor research, huge investments in wireless research. And it's that perspective of how do we put things together? Artificial intelligence, wireless, cutting edge silicon processing, even the role of on-device, you know, CPU and GPU and machine learning. And so those sort of technologies that are important, even in today's amazingly powerful smartphone, are based on significant kind of global investment. And so that's why when we look at the mobile communications industry, it is an incredibly important one that has that scale to address markets globally, but then also even as we align on these technology approaches, you want to make sure your phone works, 
whether you're getting off an airplane in Chicago or getting an air, off an airplane in Frankfurt. And so that really benefits from global standardization and that global economy. And that makes complete sense because, you know, the economies and industries, I mean, we are truly a global society now where you're, you want your phone to work effectively when you travel for either work or, or, or vacation or whatever you want to do. I know sometimes I'm always checking my phone to make, see which country it's going to work in or not. And it would be easier to have it be more seamless where I know I'm going to have the same signal strength, whether regardless of which country, which region I'm in. So that, that makes complete sense. Um, Pear, maybe I can turn to you with a similar sort of question. Um, how do you think we can reach economies of scale in mobile communications? I think um, the, the way we have done it in, in the past is, is also the recipe for the future. We have uh, come together, as John was said, in, in standardization, making one global standard. That took us 20 years to make one global standard. We started from various several smaller pieces, smaller standards, regional standards, but we have now sort of narrowed it down into one global standard where all the industry players meet and, and, and make one global standard. That makes it possible for us then to have this uh, cellular phone um, working in all countries basically uh, across the world. Uh, and that's sort of the starting recipe to have one global standard that everybody can implement according to and then deploy and then you can move around. And that will be increasingly important now when we be moving into the next uh, era of communication where machines start to communicate with machines uh, in the digitalization of society. Uh, that is also sort of important that uh, the machines can be deployed wherever they need to be deployed and move around if it's cruising ships or in airplanes or, or your car or whatever it is or trains and so on. Uh, as well as, as being stationary in, in the future. So the, the foundation for, for uh, global uh, economies of scale is the global standard that, that, that makes it uh, um, possible then for, for us as vendors and uh, consumers to consume and, 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 and sort of uh, make things work uh, together and uh, effectively increase the, the usage and uh, increase more, more, more of the scale and then bring down the cost so that it becomes affordable for everybody. Okay, now you mentioned looking to the past for determining how to reach um, a global economy of scale. What lessons do you think the industry learned from 5G? You know, what were the things that you think industry got right and what mistakes were made that you would like to see done differently in the deployment of 6G? So many things were done right when we did 5G. I think we had a great vision about 5G, what, what the vision would be. Uh, we started off uh, uh, writing the vision, trying to figure out and, and then moved on uh, according to that vision. What we sort of did not so good was the timing of things. I think we ended up that there was uh, some countries, some uh, operators, some carriers that wanted to do something slightly faster than the industry in general were ready for uh, and that uh, it, it also started off with maybe you should say not so favorable uh, amount of spectrum not so favorable spectrum uh, opportunities uh, for certain countries so what i think we we should learn is that everything needs to come together in one go the spectrum needs to be there we need to have the vision there and we need to have the standard there and, and we have a have a, a nice uh, and smooth timeline in order for 
companies like us and Qualcomm to make the products ready in time. That that sort of will make a difference also when it comes to what's being deployed when when we're launching 6G. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really important, as Per has mentioned, to think of the timeline, right? So these Gs are are basically 10 years long, and so if we look at you know 4G from from you know 2010 through 2020 and 5G you know 2019 through 2030, and so this perspective then, as we're talking about 6G, will be a, a kind of 2030 to 2040 deployment technology. And the reason these rough 10-year cadences make sense, it is partly because of the need to have these large technology leaps, but it's also to give a, enough runway to have that coordination and planning. So already now, you know, people looking at what are some interesting new 6G spectrum opportunities, and it is the need for the, as we talked about, the example of the expansion into different types of connected industries, well, how that aligns to different types of wireless communication spectrum is also something that takes some time to get right, given the regulatory timelines. Sometimes there's there's incumbents, you know, using the spectrum for a certain application that's, you know, very old and can be updated with a better technology that's a new standard, uh, new way of doing communications, given all the advances is in radio frequency, integrated circuits, all the advances in Moore's law have made processing much more efficient. So there's many areas where a newly designed system is going to be more efficient, both for future applications as well as earlier applications. And so in terms of then the timeline of making sure to have the spectrum, have the technology vision, have the standard, and then have the global deployment, you want that to happen in order so that when the, the products are being designed, they can be deployed at scale so that that continued investment can occur. And I think it's that that perspective of once you have a solid foundation of a generation like 5G is getting you know deployed in some markets only now, and obviously it's been deployed since 2019. So there's examples where 5G itself is going to continue to evolve, you know, through the remainder of this decade, building on the foundation of those earliest 5G deployments. And at the same time, the designs for 6G are then looking at well, what would the world need in 2030? from a spectrum standpoint, from a new use case standpoint, uh, even as we look at the evolution of cloud computing, the evolution of on-device artificial intelligence, there's a lot of industries that are moving very, very quickly, and they're very relevant and adjacent to how mobile communications is evolving. And so what's interesting is our, our society becomes more connected, whether it's consumers, whether it's enterprise, whether it's industry, whether it's cars, education, hospitals, factories, all of that is leveraging more and more wireless connectivity. People really aren't plugging things in anymore just so that they can communicate. So the reality of, of how people and society uses communications. And the reason I mentioned that topic is because then when you take a step back and you realize even today that, well, how are we going to be using communications in 2030? There is a lot of research work that has to happen now between industry and academia in a global sense so that we can look carefully at spectrum, at standardization, and even the industry priorities, so that when it is designed and standardized, it's meeting a, a market demand for that deployment. So 6G, we can anticipate it maybe around 2030, it sounds like. That's right. Well, Pear, I wanted to turn to you for some of the, the technical aspects of things. Can you describe for us 3GPP, what it is and how does it work? 
Yes, so 3DPP is actually a standardization organization that makes specifications. It has been, it was founded in 1999 uh, and, and made a 3D system, uh, one of the 3D systems, I should say. And then it has evolved and then made the 4G system, the LTE system that uh, is commonly used today. And then also evolved and made, made the 5G system. Uh, and, and the 3DPP is a, um, a global organization that attracts basically everybody in the industry uh, from operators or so carriers that uh, operates the networks and uh, uh, manufacturers like us and Qualcomm, but also regulatory players uh, coming there and um, also use, uh, users of the network, uh, industry players from manufacturing so starting to show up also in 3DPP. And that's basically where uh, the standardization work is done in order to get to this one global standard. Um, so essentially the industry expert of the world is, is meeting and uh, uh, exchanging ideas on how to solve sort of the vision that we have outlined. Uh, for instance, for, for 60, uh, when it starts, has not really started in 3DPP yet. It's, it's still, as John was into, finalizing and um, making the the final laps of 5G or the laps of 5G that uh, uh, will take us into the 60 era uh, now and um, but it works in the same way and will work in the same way even for 60 that you have uh, the experts in a, either a meeting room or a virtual meeting room and uh, they discuss and the, the best ideas sort of gets noted down and um, written down in, in this technical specification that they, in fact anybody in the world can actually download from the 3dpp.org uh, homepage. So anybody can download the specifications uh, then, and then start uh, implementing accordingly. But there is a lot of specifications to, to read and understand and to, to implement. So it's not an easy job to do, but it's open for everybody to, to be there and to join. And maybe I'll just add kind of one one comment like uh, about Per's pundits is that perspective that, that he's mentioning is so true that perspective of the best idea wins. And so how to make sure that these global standards involve a healthy exchange of technology ideas from across the globe. And so technology companies like Qualcomm, we send many different engineers to the standardization discussion meetings, uh, both in person and then during COVID, a lot of the meetings were moved to virtual given the travel restrictions and, and the healthcare realities. And so as we're continuing to look at evolving standardization, it is that perspective to have really healthy technical dialogues and exchange of um, you know, interesting trade-offs. What's the best way to make something better? Uh, what's the price of increasing X? You know, does it make Y smaller? So everything is really a trade-off. Usually we say there's no free lunch in the sense of how you look at putting technologies together, making sure that you're solving the right problems in the right order. And so that's what's really exciting about all of the different working groups in 3GBP. It's a great example of different technology experts in their respective field, also engaging at the interfaces between other technology groups and making sure then as an industry, we're putting it all together in the best way possible. And so how do we look at cloud? How do we look at device? How do we look at the evolution of the network, the evolution of communications and compute? So there's many different topics that really intersect and weave across these technical areas. And so what's exciting is you have a global standard then that is able to address this complexity 
and bring it down into a simple system that can be understood, the specifications can be read, you know, vendors can make implementation choices, and then you can design and deliver product knowing that you're compliant with the standard, which means that product can work anywhere in the globe. And so it's a really interesting example of international collaboration and even collaboration between different sizes of companies, between different participants, and even new industries, you know, entering uh, 3GBP, whether it's people looking at automotive connectivity or industrial connectivity or applications like augmented and virtual reality, you know, all of those tech different industries can then leverage the output of this global standard, and they can also make sure their voices are heard early in the process so that that global standard can address as many different industries as possible, but with efficient implementations that have that economy of scale. I wanted to turn back to the question of scale, and, and here I'm going to pose this question to you. What, what will happen to systems that fail to reach sufficient scale? Yeah, so essentially, uh, if, you, if, if you have not uh, enough scale, you will not have enough money and not enough, enough investments into whatever system it is in, in technology uh, and, and so on and so forth. And, and therefore, that system will sort of diminish and sort of disappear and there will be something else that uh, is bigger than so in the past we have had this situation where we had uh, uh, a number of, of systems uh, 3GPP being one but there have been other uh, alternatives uh, that uh, had not had the same global scale as 3GPP not the global reach and not uh, adoption in all countries across the world as 3GPP systems have become in the end um, and those systems have sort of diminish and disappear because vendors like us and Qualcomm, we will invest in the bigger system because that's where we will get our return of our investors quickest and best and fastest because we have a bigger market to address. Uh, so, so, the, so that is the problem if you have too, too, uh, a, a too small ecosystem to, to, um, to, uh, to, to be in. Uh, that, that, uh, you really need to have the investment capabilities in technology, otherwise you, you will not be uh, competitive with other technologies, basically, that uh, is out there. And John, I'm going to turn to you on what, what is currently needed to reach scale? What is, does industry need to do right now? I think what we need to keep doing is keep exchanging these long-term kind of technology visions of what is really required for the evolution of mobile communications and cellular in general, right? And so there's a lot of discussions already happening, whether it's in an international conference, whether it's in an academic workshop, or whether it's in early discussions amongst global companies, this perspective of how do we make sure as an industry that we're solving the right big problems? And I think that's where you see a lot of commonality. So what's gonna you know, enable effective communications in Europe or South Korea, you know, those things are very similar to what's going to enable effective communications in other markets, whether it's the United States, North America, uh, other parts of Asia as well. There's this perspective then that we have a lot more commonality as we look at that global um, consumer market, as we look at that global investment in scale. And then this perspective of how do we make sure uh, we're coming together in the right way and the right timelines 
for these larger investments. And so as we mentioned, that perspective of keeping the focus on long-term spectrum alignment, keeping the focus on long-term vision for the key use cases that's going to not only make 6G a more efficient air interface with better coverage, better capacity, better data rate, longer battery life, all those things that consumers care about, but also how do we make sure it's more cost-effective for industries to adopt and deploy? And so there needs to be that continued early exchange of cutting-edge technology ideas so that that global standard can address all of it in the most efficient, ordered way possible. And so I think it's about communication, it's about exchanging ideas, and it's about keeping an eye on the timelines of what it takes to move from academic research, and we look at industry research, and we look at pushing these boundaries together, and then we look at the reality of the global standardization and the global investment for deployment. And so it really is about continuing to exchange ideas, and that's also be cognizant of the timelines and the investment cycles because this is not a, a uh, you know, fast moving system where you can say, hey, let's design 6G in a couple months and then let's deploy it one year from now. It really does take the order of five plus years, which is why here in 2022, we're already very, very actively discussing the strategy to make sure that 6G is building on top of 5G in an effective way that's complementary, that's additive, that's making those investments that are already happening today on 5G evolution, that they're forward compatible into continuing to evolve the system into 6G. And maybe to add uh, on that slightly is that uh, I think it's important that uh, that you were mentioning, John, that it builds on, on the previous generation because when the standard is done and the products, the first products done, it takes enormous amount of time to have it nationwide deployment in just one country. It's a lot of base stations and antennas, etc., that needs to be uh, uh, moved or changed or upgraded to to uh, cater for the 60 system when it comes, similar as it was for 5G system. But the good thing is that the the the, 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 the 5G system built on the 4G system, so there is always kind of this fallback. So there you, you are not without connectivity, but you may not have the cutting edge latest and greatest immediately, but they will take some graceful period of time to, 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 to make that happen. Absolutely. So, you know, with 5G, of course, we expect things to be faster, more streamlined, and 6G with every iteration of technology, you know, we expect advancements in terms of cell phones, um, consumer use products. But John, I wanted to turn to you for what is 6G going to mean for things like artificial intelligence, for robotics, for quantum computing, things that we are just starting to learn about. As 6G is deployed, what effect will it have on these very, very advanced technologies? Yeah, for those advanced technologies, what's interesting is it's really about how compute is evolving and how communications is evolving. So if we look at, at even quantum compute or we look at new ways of doing security or we look at you know artificial intelligence, I think it's really interesting to understand what are the algorithms being used for? Where are you doing the training? From a privacy standpoint, maybe you want a lot of those decisions being made closer to the device. So you're not shipping everything all the way back to the cloud. So there's a lot of interesting longer term technologies. And what we're looking at then in the 6G context is, well, what is gonna be that fabric of connectivity? So if we look at compute, when is compute being distributed? So you can have an incredibly powerful laptop with the latest and greatest CPU and GPU on it, 
but it also is going to have intelligence built right into the device. So then how that device interacts with other devices near it, such as an augmented virtual reality headset or a smartphone or a smartwatch or even a medical pacemaker. A lot of devices at the edge now can start exchanging information. And as per mentioned, the network itself is continuing to evolve and expand into what we term like edge compute and edge connectivity. And so when we look longer term at these compute technologies that you mentioned, it's really important to weave those carefully in to how they're going to use communications. Because compute that doesn't have communications doesn't really make sense anymore. The notion of having, consider a laptop that cannot connect to the internet. What are you really going to do on that device? You need to exchange the information you're creating. And even to do something of value, you need to you know, bring information into that device. And so the reality is compute and communications are becoming even more intertwined as we look forward. And I would argue that the other thing that's really changing is how people will use technology. So today we're used to our kind of different types of devices like our laptops and our cell phones and our smartwatches. But as we look forward, we're gonna see a more pervasive type of compute where if you're walking into a smart classroom or a smart hospital, you know, what is the physician's assistant doing? What is the doctor doing? What is the nurse doing? How is the hospital handling the data that's being created to make sure patient care is as effective as possible? So there's a lot of examples where then that compute side, that communication side, and even how artificial intelligence is deployed, where we're looking top down and bottoms up. We're looking from the device back to the network, and we're looking from the cloud to the network back to the device. And then kind of finding that interesting intersection, it's not gonna be the same answer for every industry, but it is something when we look at 6G that we make sure we're addressing it fundamentally. So that those foundational steps that differentiate 6G from 5G are large steps for the industry so that that new foundation is not about 2030 and 2031, it's about 2030 all the way through 2040. Well, and Pierre, I'm going to turn to you for this next question. You know, Ericsson and Qualcomm are, are industry leaders. How are your companies working together on the development of 6G? Yeah, I mean, um, we are um, meeting in the sort of the, uh, the, the pre-standardization research uh, uh, arenas that uh, is outlined in various parts of the world now. And in North America, it's the Next year Alliance. Uh, it's in one, one of the uh, arenas where we meet. And then, of course, we have uh, bilateral discussions on ideas and uh, where what type of research needs to be done, what types of what the vision should look like. And uh, we, we meet in, in ITU, actually, which is now making the vision documentation. And we meet there and discuss uh, and so on. So we are using all these um, global and the regional arenas now in order to, to have this pre-standardization discussion before it really hits into 3DPP so that it can be as as, as smooth ride as possible through 3DPP in the, in the end. Um, so that's basically the, the fundamental on, on how we, we work together. Uh, and that's not only with Qualcomm from our side, and I'm sure Qualcomm is working with others in the same way. So we are meeting with all our competitors and, and customers and so on and, and have it. Because the real fundamental thing here is, as we have been into, is that uh, there is one global system and there is uh, everybody has a voice there and we need to 
listen to everybody's voice, but then in the end we have to take decision according to a, a timeline that we have sort of agreed upon uh, and, and run through that. Uh, and, and, that and then uh, it comes down to the best ideas that meets the requirements and uh, sort of doesn't cost too much and so on. All, all, all these natural discussions that you have to take and it's not easy, but that's, going, that's where it's going to be. And the more conversation you have with, with, the, with the people, then the, the easier it will become because then you know what sort of the, um, on one hand and on the other hand and on the third hand and so on. And all that negotiation that needs to be done in your head and your own head about how to reach the end goal. Now, I'm going to pose the final question I'd like to pose to both of you is what advice do you have for students, for young people who want to go into technology, who want to have jobs like yours one day? What advice do you have to the young and the students on how to best achieve that? John, we'll start with you and then Per, I want you to answer the question as well. Yeah, no, it's a great question and it's something where my, my recommendation is to really focus on the fundamentals. So to take the opportunity of your education to really be an education. And so when you look at, at how technology can get applied, it's always going to be changing. So when I was studying communications, obviously 5G was not even in existence. It was before 3G itself even existed when I was first an undergraduate student. But at the same time, you can focus on learning technology fundamentals, mathematical fundamentals, physics fundamentals, electrical engineering, computer science, so many different related fields. And so my recommendation is to focus really on that learning because the skills you learn are not just about solving a particular problem. It's really the fact that you're going to be solving a problem that isn't even really posable in the next decade. So if you're a young student today, you know, you want to be working 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 10 years from now. Well, who knows how the world's going to look there in terms of, as we mentioned, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, all these interesting long-term technologies. So it's really to learn early how to make sure you can become a lifelong learner. And so in that sense, it's about developing techniques to really assimilate information, to leverage the fact that you have world-class faculty who are teaching you very interesting things. And so to really absorb that material, don't get too stressed out about all the tests and the midterms and the exams and the finals and the labs, but to try to make sure you're absorbing the perspectives of that educational opportunity. And it's interesting when, when I was a, you know, a student and we would have people from industry come visit the classroom and say, oh, my happiest time was when I was a student. I would be like, what? You look incredibly happy and successful now. I, I don't believe you. But it is that perspective that being a student is such an opportunity. It's such a gift philosophically, psychologically, that ability to learn, absorb, you know, think more abstractly about problems, but then also interact with your classmates who come from, you know, different backgrounds, different technology ideas, different areas of focus. So in my view, it's about absorbing and then recognizing that there's not a big rush to quickly, you know, learn one little thing. It's really about absorbing as much as you can. Yeah, I, I would echo um, uh, basically everything you say, John. Um, uh, the only thing maybe to add then, I think, is that uh, even if you leave the university and become a student like, like me, there is a lifelong journey and you, you learn every day. Uh, and there is always something new to learn and the broader base you have, the easier you can move in between the different um, turns technology take or the world takes and, 
and and uh, and move 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 between those uh, technologies and so on. So, a solid foundational base, I think, is is super important. And then learn from everybody because when you join a company later on, maybe, and if you go on to Qualcomm or Ericsson and joining the standardization, there is a, a lot that's super learning opportunities by all the companies that you will meet in, in a 3DPP meeting. Uh, it's the best education you can get uh, post-student, <laughs> um, I think. Well, thank you both for those thoughts. I think that those are the, the perfect thoughts on which to conclude our podcast. And we thank you for joining us here today at the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue University. I think that our podcast listeners will find your comments very thoughtful and insightful on the de development and the deployment of 6G. So with that, we conclude. Thank you again, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Tech Dip Voice, a podcast from the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue. Further information on some of the issues discussed in this podcast can be found on our website, techdiplomacy.org.